Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, happy December, everybody. It's been a busy week here at Idaho Education News. And Clark, I want you to take it away and talk about uh, some some really important reporting that you've done this week about uh, a couple of uh, school administrators, past and present, who've been reprimanded by the state. Give us the headlines first. Yeah, uh, Kevin, it appears that the state is starting to crack down on inaccurate teacher evaluations, which is an issue that we've been covering in Idaho Education yeah, you've been News. chasing this data for two years, and there have been inconsistencies in the data that you've you found for over two and a half years. Yeah, and, and, and that's what this comes back to, but the state is starting to crack down on that. There is a public state agency called the Professional Standards Commissioner, and that's a group that essentially regulates teacher and educator certification in the state of Idaho. It's sort of a disciplinary body for teachers or administrators. That's one of of several functions uh, that that group performs. Uh, They do a lot of other things in terms of getting teachers prepared for certification and making sure those requirements are followed initially. But yes, one of the things this group does is investigate complaints and ethics complaints uh, against teachers, educators, administrators in the state of Idaho. And so this summer, uh, the state's chief certification officer, Lisa Colon-Durham, worked with the Professional Standards Commission to file administrative complaints against two Idaho school superintendents uh, saying they inaccurately reported teacher evaluation data to the state. One of the superintendents that... um, was subject to one of these complaints is a current state legislator, uh, Representative Ryan Kirby. He's a Republican from New Plymouth, and he sits on the he's House the, Education Committee, actually. Right. He's, he's a fairly influential member of the legislature just by virtue of being on that committee. And to kind of tie it all together, he was the former superintendent in the New Plymouth School District. Yes, he, he retired uh, a couple of years ago from the New Plymouth School District, and that was really my first story in 2015 that kicked this off uh, was I... I approached Representative Kirby and I asked him about the fact that all 59 of New Plymouth's teachers were reported to be performing equally proficient to the state. Identical ratings for every teacher in his district. And uh, at that time he said that our district quite unanimously decided that the state did not need to know uh, all of that information about whether the teachers were performing it proficient or not. Uh, It appears that based on that reporting, this summer the Professional Standards Commission uh, said that he failed to follow state law and failed to live up to his ethics guidelines uh, as an educator by submitting inaccurate evaluation data to the state. And specifically what they zeroed in on is they said that he did not uh, include student growth, student achievement, uh, factoring that into the evaluations. And that's a requirement of state law, actually. Mm -hmm. So they said he did not follow state law, did not uh, include student achievement in these evaluations, and they brought a complaint against him. He appealed that. He hired an attorney. He filed a counterclaim against the state. It kind of revealed this this rift, this um, this dust up between Representative Kirby and the state of Idaho. Uh, he said the he blamed Tom Luna, the former superintendent of public instruction. He blamed the PSC. He said that Lisa Colon Durham was cooking up a politically motivated witch hunt. Uh, to attack him for exercising his First Amendment rights to speak out against teacher evaluations. But in the end, the Professional Standards Commission convened a review panel of three of Representative Kirby's peers, three administrators in the state of Idaho. They considered the appeal, and they 
denied uh, his appeal, and they ordered that a written reprimand be placed in his personnel file attached to his teaching certificate. And, Le- and, no, and, and so, so he's got the reprimand on you know, in his file, or it's supposed to go into his file, but that's not the last word. And, and as you mentioned, Representative Kirby has uh, been pretty combative about this. Uh, uh, he does have avenues of appeal, does he not? Yeah, he has one appeal remaining if he chooses to exercise it. He could seek judicial review, sort of go outside the PSC and ask a district judge um, to look at this thing and, and consider whether it violates state law or whether it violates Representative Kirby's constitutional rights. I spoke with Representative Kirby on Wednesday. He completely denies any wrongdoing. Uh, he says he did not break any state law. He did not break... Uh, his, his ethics rules. He says he's completely innocent. He did not tell me one way or the other really definitively whether he would seek judicial review. He has about another 10 days from the date that we're recording this podcast to seek that out. Uh, but if he does not seek judicial review, or if he does, and if it's not overturned, that reprimand will be placed in his certification file. And if he ever uh, tries to work in education again, that would follow him. It would right. be um, attached to his certification. But it, it's a process that played out over the last four months. Uh, there's a story at IdahoEdNews.org talking about the process, talking about what the Professional Standards Commission is, uh, talking about how this played out, talking about the different defenses that Representative Kirby made and how he blamed. Um, yeah, there are several bullets of, of people and entities that he blamed for this whole situation, including Idaho Education News. He's been no fan of our... Uh, are reporting, although, you know, this is what he told you two and a half years ago that he did. Right, right. Um, and uh, so anyways, you can find out all about that. One of the things that he says is that while he was serving in the legislature, he delegated many of his duties as superintendent of the New Plymouth School District to subordinates, to other staffers, and that he was not there, and he did not physically upload the teacher evaluations during the 2014-15 school year. And the professional uh, but looking at their ruling, the PSC didn't buy that. The hearing looked at that, and they said two things. They said, number one, he was obligated to follow state law, even if he didn't agree with it. That was the first thing they said. The second thing that they said was not doing your job and passing that off to somebody else and having them do it incorrectly is not an excuse. It doesn't count. And I think what they're really saying is at the end of the day, it is the superintendent of the school district's responsibility to ensure that state law is followed and that these reports are are submitted accurately. The buck stops with the superintendent, basically. The Kirby story is really juicy and it's really intricate because there's clearly some bad blood brewing between a state legislator and the SDE, the State Department of Education, over this. But but Kirby wasn't the only uh, administrator who was reprimanded quickly. There there was another one, right? That, that's correct. Alan Dunn, who's the su- superintendent of the Sugar Salem School District, uh, in eastern Idaho, uh, also uh, was the subject of a complaint, a real similar complaint. What they accused him of, and this was also based on Idaho Education News reporting from 2015, they accused Alan Dunn of instructing his staff to submit inaccurate evaluations mm-hmm. to the state to make it appear that all of the teachers performed at equally proficient levels. I spoke with Alan Dunn on Wednesday. Uh, and he did not appeal uh, this complaint. Uh, he accepted it. He signed the letter of reprimand, and he said, 
I did that, basically. Uh, he said he's always been truthful about it, that he disagreed with tying teacher evaluations to a teacher's ability to earn a raise. And that really is the big issue for me and why we've been covering this mm -hmm. is because the legislature tied a teacher's ability to earn a raise and invested $250 million of taxpayers' money into increasing teacher pay. And in order to be eligible for these raises, one of several criteria is that teachers have to meet performance standards on their annual evaluations. And so Alan Dunn said that he didn't believe with that decision. And as a protest... And as a measure to protect his staff, he instructed uh, his staff to report incorrectly to the state that all teachers performed equally proficient. He said he did it. Uh, he said he disagreed with the state's decision, and that's why he did it. But he, he accepted his reprimand, mm -hmm. uh, and he's going to be retiring at the end of the school year. He announced that uh, earlier this fall. And uh, so, yeah, there's two separate stories if you want to find out. The complaints are similar. They're both based on... Idaho Education News reporting from 2015 about this teacher evaluation issue. If you want to check those out and find out a little bit more about how the process worked, about who the key players were, uh, about the appeal in Representative Kirby's case, that's all over there at, uh, at our homepage. And, and this is one of those stories, I mean, for you and for Randy Schrader, our data analyst, I mean, this has been a long two-and-a-half-year journey for you guys, uh, uncovering this and digging into this. And it really all began two and a half years ago with evaluations data that, that we got that you guys looked at and said, you know, something just seems amiss here if you've got every teacher in a district getting an identical score. Uh, that's not, that makes you wonder if the data is really accurate. That's exactly where it came from, Kevin. Uh, I worked with Randy. We received teacher evaluation data from every school district, and we found that more than 30 school districts and more than 10 charter schools reported that every single one of their teachers uh, performed equally proficient, that they had an overall proficient score on their evaluation. Now, there's four scores that teachers right. can get. Uh, these 30-plus school districts said everybody got the same overall score of proficient. That didn't seem to add up to us. That raised a red flag. And the very first person I asked about it was Representative Kirby. And he told me that we didn't think the state needed to know all that data. And so that immediately confirmed my suspicions that, hey, this doesn't seem right. But uh, absolutely, Randy Schrader, who's a retired school superintendent himself, um, played a huge role in this. And, and we worked with the Idaho Public Records Act. And public records were a huge part of this story. The story never would have happened, not the stories in 2015, not the stories this week. Those not, would not have happened without public records. And, and that's also something that, that I know that we're both passionate about and that, that we both um, avail ourselves of the resources and the tools through the Idaho Public Records Act uh, to tell our stories and to report uh, important news to no, our, to our this, leaders. This has been a really important and meaningful story to be following these past couple of years, and, and I think, uh, yeah, I think the reporting has made a difference here. Yeah, thank you so much. If you want to uh, check that story out, head over to IdahoEdNews.org. But we did have a busy week coming back from Thanksgiving. There's several stories that I want to talk about. I want to talk about a story, Kevin, that you've been focusing on, and that's the issue of leadership within Idaho's higher education. Uh, ranks the idea of a CEO or maybe a provost. I'm not sure what what language you want to use, but you had a chance to talk to Bob Custer about this from Boise State. What's the proposal, and and what did he have to say about this? 
Well, the proposal is coming not from Castro, but it is coming from a group of business executives, uh, seven business executives who who sat on Governor Bochader's higher education task force. So after the task force finished its work in mid-September, a couple of weeks later, the business leaders uh, sent a letter to Governor Otter uh, suggesting that what the state really needs to do is pursue hiring a CEO to oversee the higher education system. And, and that's a pretty careful choice of words that, that, they're, that they're using. Yeah. Here. They're not talking about a university chancellor. Uh, a chancellor would oversee a lot of the academic functions of the universities. Uh, they're, they're looking, the business leaders are looking for somebody who is going to examine the overhead on campuses, the administrative costs on campuses. Is there a way to save money by combining the functions of you know, HR or IT or, or procurement? And have that all kind of under one umbrella organization that serves all eight colleges and universities in the state. Their, their premise here is in order to save money, and they're not really sure how much money you can save, but in order to save money, because they believe that there are savings to be had, you've got to spend a little money on the front end. So you create the CEO's position. Their ballpark estimate is that it would take about $2.5 million in first-year costs to create an office. To hire a CEO and he doesn't get two and a half, he or she does not get two and a half right. million dollars, but would oversee an office uh, with a budget of roughly that size. You bring in consultants, you bring in staff, and you start to try to really you know, dig into the university system and figure out if there are savings to be had. So that's the proposal. Uh, Governor Otter will have something to say about it or not have something to say about it when he releases his budget in January. Right now he's noncommittal. Right. That's typical. The governor does not tend to talk about budget items until uh, he can release his entire budget uh, proposal to the legislature in early January. So we'll wait and see what he, he's got to say. I had a chance to talk to uh, Bob Castro, the retiring president at BSU, uh, for a bigger project that I'm working on, on on the higher education system. But I had a chance to talk to him yesterday, Thursday, and I wanted to ask him about the CEO proposal. It, he doesn't think that it's that unusual. Uh, a lot of states have something fairly similar, sort of a, an executive officer looking at the, the higher education system. But he's wondering, are there really big savings to be had? He, he's a little bit skeptical. He's a little bit skeptical and, and not clear about what functions you would try to consolidate. And he's curious as to whether uh, this would be funded at you know, maybe at the level of what the uh, the the business executives are seeking. I mean, two and a half million is, is quite a bit of money. And he kind of said a lot of these functions right now fall under the State Board of Education, which is a pretty lean operation. Yeah. You know, you know two and a half million, you know, it's no small amount of money. So we'll see how this thing all plays out at the legislature. And, and the big question right now is, is this something that uh, Governor Otter has signed on with? And like, you, like you're alluding to, we're about just over a month away from perhaps finding out if Governor Otter uh, does have a position on this or does build it into his budget or, or not. We may know in about a month, right. right? Well, we may know in about a month. So the why you care about something like a CEO proposal and the why this is being talked about in the first place, um, the business leaders who are trying to do this, and I talked to Bob Locken, who's kind of maybe the, the leader of the push for a CEO, uh, Lockin is saying, look, if you can save some money in the administrative functions and you can do it in a relatively strong economy, uh, as opposed to being forced to find savings during a downturn, you can siphon the savings into programs that you want to uh, to 
bolster to help students. You, know, you mentioned scholarships, you know, and it goes to a bigger project that I'm working on that uh, I will finally get out uh, in the middle of December looking at how much we are spending at this point to try to get more high school students to go to college and, and how that's playing itself out. And, and that's the big reason why I was talking to President Custer on Thursday, uh, doing some legwork for that project. But anyway, the CEO proposal is is interesting. You can see uh, what what the the business leaders are having to say. You can look at their letter to the governor. Uh, we have an interview with uh, with Castra and uh, some some video from that interview. So so check that out at idahoidnews.org. Yeah, for sure, definitely worth your time. Scroll down; it's a couple stories down on on the homepage at this point. But uh, look for President Custra and, and and look for the headline there, and definitely worth people's time to check out. One other story to talk about this week: uh, What is Smarty Ants, and, and and why did why is this a thing right now? I mean, this is something that uh, Superintendent DeBar was talking about with some uh, education leaders this week. So, what is it? Yeah, what it is is it's an online learning tool, essentially an app uh, that that four year olds can use to help uh, prepare for school and, and get ready for. Uh, to build up their literacy skills. But I want to back up a little bit and talk about yes. why this matters and, and why why on Monday was I at a meeting learning about something called Smarty Ants. Last month, when Superintendent Ibarra and her opponent, Jeff Dillon, spoke at the Idaho School Boards Association's conference up in North Idaho, Superintendent Ibarra kind of made headlines by saying she had a free, read my lips, free proposal uh, to bring early childhood education to Idaho. A lot of people's interest was piqued at that time. Uh, the superintendent didn't explain uh, the proposal in any great detail uh, at that time. Sort of a stay tuned, yeah, I've got a plan. Please get out a little bit. Um, so fast forward, Monday of this week, I was invited to attend a meeting at the State Department of Education in offices in Boise with Superintendent Ibarra. And she and Linda Clark from the State Board of Education kind of facilitated almost a sales meeting with... Uh, the staff of Smarty Ants, which is part of a larger New Jersey-based for-profit uh, company uh, that sells education software and education online learning tools. But it's essentially like an app. I watched a little tutorial, and it almost kind of looks like a cross between a cartoon and a homework assignment. And it's like a game. Uh, but what the idea was is the CEO of this parent company of Smarty Ants promised that she would make Smarty Ants online learning tools available free to every four-year-old in the state of Idaho for a period of five years. That doesn't mean if you're four, you can use it for five years. That means if you're four, you can use it while you're, while you're four, and then four-year-olds the next year can use it while they're four for a five-year period. And so that is Superintendent Ibarra's proposal to bring early childhood education to the state of Idaho. Now, this company... I think they're called Achieve 3000, also sells and markets a whole suite of online learning tools that are available to purchase. And it already counts at least one Idaho school district as a paying customer. And, and so, yes, they would be offering the Smarty Ants free, but I am sure they would be looking at this as an opportunity to sell other programs to other school districts once they get uh, in the door, so to speak, right. with Smarty Ants. So that's where you get this, you know, the eye of the beholder thing. I yeah. mean, for proponents, it's, you know, it's a free opportunity to get, uh, get some early learning for kids. I mean, that's obviously uh, Superintendent Ibarra's take and, and her push on this. If you're more skeptical, you're saying, okay, this is just a loss leader, and this company, this vendor, is trying to make more money down the road by selling 
more software than they would be able to uh, sell in the state. Sure, yeah. And just real quickly, the folks that were in favor of this said, hey, we need to be thinking outside the box and we need to see uh, what we can do to help prepare our youngest children uh, to develop their reading skills and to be prepared uh, for kindergarten or first grade when they enter the public school system. But there was some skepticism to go along with this. They said, hey, some of the folks in this meeting said, hey, aren't we really focused on low-income students that are really struggling and really need resources. How in the world are we going to deploy this online program to students that may not have their own computing device, may not have uh, reliable internet connection? That was one of uh, the concerns. Yeah, if you're a family in, you know, insert your name of your favorite small town in Idaho here, <laughs> if you're a family in one of those communities, you may not have reliable internet at home. I mean, that's uh, that could be a limiting factor. And if you don't have a computer, if you don't have an iPad, if you don't have a phone, you're not going to be able to use it anyways. Uh, I also talked with Beth Oppenheimer, and she's kind of, she's on the Boise School Board, but she's kind of one of the preeminent voices for early childhood education. She's been on this pre-K issue for years. Yeah, she's really an advocate, and she said, you know, I think that it could be potentially part of a solution, one of several building blocks uh, that help prepare students. But she said, I don't think more screen time is the answer here. She said, I don't want to look at this as the solution to early childhood education in Idaho because it doesn't develop the teamwork and the interpersonal and the social skills that students also need. Right. Sticking I mean, them in front of a screen, uh, it might help them build up a little bit of a vocabulary. Uh, but she doesn't. She says this does not replace a qualified, developed early childhood program based on research and best practices. She said this working is not on the an solution. app would not necessarily prepare a a five-year-old to walk into a kindergarten class and be prepared to function in that kind of an environment. Yeah. She also said, hey, there are dozens and dozens of these online learning programs. What makes Smarty Ants so special? Why, why are we having a big sales pitch with their uh, staff and their CEO? What's the difference between them and the other 25 products on the market? Uh, so she was skeptical. Yeah. Um, but if you want to read that story, head over to the homepage. It was published on Monday of this week, so several days ago. Scroll uh, on at down. This point. But the reason I went to the meeting is because I wanted to find out what Superintendent Ibarra's proposal was for early childhood that she had teased uh, at that convention up in North Idaho. So that's where I went to try and connect the dots and say, here's what we're talking about. This is what it is. You can decide for yourself. Would your family like to take advantage of this? Do you think this is smart for kids? Or is this more screen time and is this an incomplete solution? Well, and one thing we know for sure about the pre-K issue, it's not going away anytime nope. soon. So we'll continue to follow this, but uh, you can get caught up with where things stand now with the story from this week. All right. I think that covers all of our top headlines this week. I want to apologize. I'm losing my voice just a little bit. Uh, but we always have a lot of fun uh, at Idaho Education News with the Extra Credit Podcast. Uh, I know we had some kind of in-depth, detailed stories this week, and I know our listeners are probably the most informed Idahoans about teacher evaluations uh, after hearing me talk about it and report about it for the past two years. But it is something that I think is very important, uh, and that's why I've been trying to follow it. So you can follow all of our news on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. That's where we break all of our news. And uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.